Yes. Oh my god. So, so Hakim, like, maybe you figured it out, or maybe you haven't. That's Joseph. Like, yeah, that, that's his real life persona just into the game. Um, <laughs> so, so um, it, it's really funny that. Uh, so, so another voice actor did the did the voice in the final. Um, but we had Joseph for the longest time as both the audio and the mocap. Oh my god! Give me mocap. You know, I can't tell you how many like hip thrusts have been like, you know. <laughs> painfully reduced by the animators because it's just like <laughs> it's just joseph you're listening to rules of play a game development podcast for anyone wanting industry insight deep dives on games and casual conversation hello and welcome to rules of play uh, today we have something very exciting we have a beautiful guest please welcome oliver granlin uh oliver is a senior level and game designer at hazelite uh, he's worked on a number of Really exciting projects in his career, so Battlefront 2, Battlefront 5, and most recently, uh, I'll make a prediction, Game of the Year, uh, it takes two. Um, and so welcome to Rules of Play. Here we are. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so normally, uh, on the start of this, we do a bit of a, a roundtable of checking what people have been up to recently, what they've been playing. Um, so as you're the guest, I'll pass it to you. What, what have you been playing recently? Oh, what have I been playing? Oh, that's a that's a great question, actually. Oh man, my memory is so bad when it comes to this. <laughs> you know, my the weeks just kind of blur. I'm actually <laughs> playing the, this game called Phantom Abyss. Um, it's it's a oh. very interesting game. Uh, hmm. It's like a roguelike, um, but it's first person and kind of like Mirror's Edge movement. You're like a Indiana Jones style um, kind of character going through this like randomly generated Mayan dungeon. But the, the, the quirk of it is that a dungeon can only be completed once, and it's like this online meta space where, um, where if you die, uh, that dungeon is like persistent. So you'll appear as a ghost kind of guiding the other players. Um, ah. And once, you, once the, the dungeon is completed, like all their souls and money will be released back to the players. It's a very interesting game. Yeah. I, I got um, a free copy of it off something. There was some some magazine was running some kind of promotion. I got I got it for free, and it's really really compelling. Like I was like I put like maybe like five hours into it on my first sitting, just like oh my god, and like the whip's so satisfying to use, and it's getting around and yeah, it's 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 a really because at first I thought it was like a battle royale. At first I thought like everyone was live players, but it's yeah, yeah. past players like their like spirit trail, right? Um, but yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good oh, stuff. That's cool. I also thought there was like um, not quite like full guys where it's everyone trying to get to some point. But I also thought it was like you go into a lobby of twenty people rather rather than like it's literally everyone who's ever played that level. Mm -hmm. and yeah, there. Um, that's cool. Uh, I've basically been I've finished Deathloop. That's what I did uh, at the end of last week and this week. Congratulations. Um, so, <laughs> That was my goal, basically. <laughs> I, I also finished Death Deathloop. This is what I mean with not remembering. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, and outside of that, uh, I haven't really played much outside of that. I've basically been waiting to play uh, Kenna. That's like my next game that I'm going to play. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to have a very obvious what have I been playing next week in the next We'll look forward to that one. I've been playing uh, a fair bit of uh, of It Takes Two, funnily enough. <laughs> but, um, 
we probably don't need to get into that now because we'll probably end up talking about that later. But yeah, <laughs> I'm, we're absolutely loving it so far. It's fantastic. Um, oh, that's great. That's great. And to not hear. just and not just because we have you on, but uh, that we are, I actually <laughs> it. for reals. Also, <laughs> yeah, not really, yeah, it's completely sincere. Yeah. Um, what about yeah, you? What you? Uh, so I finished Deathloop finally. Uh, I feel like I'm going to have to go and platinum that game because it's fantastic. Uh... So Jack. Invade me, please. Invade <laughs> you, so I can get one of the trophies. Oh yeah, we yeah we, we should probably do that and exploit that just so we can get all those trophies. Yeah, because I think there's only one. I think you got a masquerade as cult. I think that's literally the only. Oh okay. Cool. So we'll do that. Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I wrapped Deathloop as well. I think it was maybe even before we recorded the last episode. I think I was just wrapping it up. Um, but other than that, I haven't been playing too much. But the second round of like the Halo Infinite um, previews being out and you know, it's classic me. I've just been smashing that. <laughs> even, even the fact that the multiplayer servers aren't on, like you can just play against bots in like a training mode. It never ends. I'm just playing it, and like, I put like forty minutes into it. Like Jack, there's no end goal to this. But stop playing it. I'm like, can't. <laughs> so I've just been practicing using the grappling hook and all the other weird, cool little mechanics that they put in the game. And fingers crossed, come December, that we get an amazing Halo game. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of been me at, at the minute. I've been seeing uh, on Twitter a load of the trick shots and things that people have been doing with the different like mechanics and uh, grappling hooks and things. It's pretty yeah. mad. Well, I, I, I sent you that stuff, didn't I? When they put like this piece of equipment in and it's, is it a grenade? Yeah, it's like a grenade and it arcs lightning, like like electric. And now, I, I don't know why they put it in, but you can now like drop te- uh, weapons for teammates. It's kind of like in like a battle royale if you want to swap weapons. And this, uh, these people got together and they started dropping like loads of weapons in a row, put like a lightning grenade near the start of it, and it proper like chain all the way through it, like oh. proper like like in like Breath of the Wild and stuff. It's like That's cool. is Halo secretly an immersive sim? Like, yeah. <laughs> what's going on here? So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very just, excited uh... to see what people do in the campaign. Like come December, I'm, I'm sure people will find ways to exploit like half of the campaign somehow by doing shit like that. So. I think yeah. you're just trying to make more games immersive sims, Jack. That's all it is. Yeah. <laughs> Praise them for being immersive sims yeah. so they're like, more, more. Yeah. More. yeah. <laughs> but, oh, cool. But that's us. That's us all, all that is, gamed that out, I think. That games. Um, so, yeah, normally with our, our guest episodes, um, we try and dig in a bit into sort of how you got into games and what made you want to get into the design role or what... Uh, that was a good sentence. What made you want to get into the design <laughs> role and how you got there? Um, so, you know, take it away. Where, where did you start, basically? What was your journey to game? Yeah. So so my, my journey actually started uh, when I was very young, uh, which I, I guess I'm I'm kind of a first generation of this, but my, my father it grew up very much as like a, a competitive player in Counter-Strike. Uh, oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah. And he played for like basically the professional teams but it was before like cs was big right it was 1.6 before there were any like big prize pools like he, he won a pack of beers like that that sort of stuff but, <laughs> you know the professional teams <laughs> at the time um so like like through that naturally i just uh i, I just like went into games uh in in terms of like my my imagination, my free time, like all of that stuff. Um, and I, I don't know really when it dawned on me that I, I could make games. Um, but during, 
I think it was like when I got to pick my high school, I, I took like a programming course uh, and mm. went straight into C++ uh, and I absolutely hated it. <laughs> um, I always felt like, you know, oh, I'm, you know, the code is a, is a step to get to what I want. Uh, like I know for some people that's like reverse where it's like, oh, the endorphins are like, you know, I'm, I'm just sad until I get to that point where I can play with it. Um, yeah. And um, um, that, that bounced me away uh, into, like, you know, I really liked that part of, of building, like, levels and, and gameplay when I, when I actually had that. So mm. naturally, I gravitated towards, like, doing more and more of that. Um, and uh, it started like, like this. Oh, actually, this painting is from, from high school when we, we made a, a game uh, in... Um, I, I guess you can't see it because of the resolution, but it's a, a 2D platformer inspired by, you know, like Limbo and, and all of those games. Oh, um, nice. That's so and, cool. Um, yeah, it's, it kind of naturally went from there. Then I went to, um, I, I guess, university where uh, uh, I just pursued like leveling game design and uh, ended up at DICE uh, after an internship. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think... Uh... We've had a couple of people over internships. I mean, it's so interesting to see that everyone gets a different way into it. Like you were fairly exposed to how games could earn money, I guess, or earn beer. Uh, <laughs> um, whereas a lot of us, I think, were fairly like uh, not exposed to it at all. I mean, I didn't think about games uh, until college, where like the first thing I did that was even close to a game was I made like an interactive Flash comic book. Um, that was based on Naughty Bear, if anyone ever played that game. Oh my god, really? Oh, yes. Why have yeah. I never heard that story before? <laughs> oh, it's, it's one for another time, I guess. But, <laughs> no, yeah. this, this is, I have to find this out. There we go. There we go. So, yeah, we had like a, it was like a, a way they fancify names. It was a film and photography course, but it, uh, they called it Lens Based Media. And I was like, well, a computer is a lens, so I want to do something like <laughs> gamey. So I made like a Flash interactive comic book. And then I played Naughty Bear when it came out. And I was like, this game's great. And I was like, beating other people. <laughs> no one ever played it. And I was like, I really <laughs> love this game. Like, <laughs> obtuitous oh, violence in teddy bears. It's great. Um, so, uh, yeah, the whole idea is it's a comic book where one person, one of the teddy bears in this spaceship gets invited to a party and the other one doesn't. Uh, and then as you go through it, basically choose whether you go over to that other spaceship and kill them all. So <laughs> so you were idea. so you were you describe yourself as a bit of a disturbed individual then Matthew. Yeah yeah hey, I was I was 17, 18, you know <laughs> I can oh, definitely re- like end up hearing that in court again, that story again. <laughs> <laughs> this That's call gonna is gonna play later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. 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 Oh. You can see the panel. Oh, no. It was great. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so when you did that, then uh, Oliver. So did you? Um, you kind of mentioned that you obviously kind of went through the route of. Like, was it? Do you? Was there any like around you growing up of like a college level? Because obviously, we like, in England. Is it normally you finish school, go like college sixth form, then university? Was like, did you know all the way through? Then it was like that's my kind of end goal. Like I want to be a game designer. Or was it something you? figured out along the way if that makes sense yeah so so i always knew or always and always like like fairly early at least i i knew i wanted to work with games but i i wasn't sure what right 
Um, and I guess it's one of those naive, like, oh, I like to play games or I like to make games. Uh, it's generally right. very different. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, after trying all the things, like I was a very creative person. Uh, I liked, I liked doing like different sort of, you know, uh, both science experiments and, and, you know, <laughs> making up my own rules for, for, you know, like board games and whatnot, you know, so it was kind of a, a natural transition. Uh, but I think the path to actually becoming, like, sure, it might seem very straightforward, you know, uh, it's definitely more straightforward than, you know, making a Naughty Bear comic and sliding <laughs> into <laughs> sliding it in that way. But um, I, I think the, so the, the difference here is that I think game dev schools are now becoming kind of, you know, yeah. like solidified a, as an actual mm. thing. Uh, I think the difference with the one uh, that I went to, it's called Future Games in uh, in Stockholm. And th there are a few of them that are, I, I think you call them vocational education in, in, in the UK, where they're actually they're actually made by the Swedish government more as like, a, oh, you want to be a carpenter or you want to be like a, an electrician. Yeah, yeah. It's very practical yeah, work. Mm -hmm. So they're very light on the theoretical stuff. Like theoretical stuff is important to game dev. But, you know, making a bunch of games is probably going to get you further than reading a bunch of books. Um, so the, yeah, so the whole whole idea behind those schools was just like, okay, we'll just lock a bunch of, you know, teenagers in a room <laughs> and we tell them to make games and, uh, <laughs> you know, we see what comes out. And, um, like, uh, it, it's been working great, actually. Like, uh, if you look statistically where, where you know, in I, I think especially in the in the States, you know, game dev colleges are very unreliable in terms of hiring rates uh but these vocational educations they're not allowed to even exist if they don't have an 80 percent hiring rate you know then mm. the government shuts them down so it's like um i mean and then of course depending on what industry you look at 80 percent might be kind of low but you know compared to games industry like if you get into that school and you have like uh you know four in five chances of getting a job that's really really good that is really good yeah, yeah it's definitely yeah, yeah that's, that's a I mean, the uk scores are, are very skewed because their percentages on hiring doesn't mean hiring in the role that you were doing a degree in mm. um, yeah so i think my course had like a 96 percent mm. uh job after two years but that just means i I have a job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your little McDonald's uniform on just. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I was part of that statistic when I worked in HMB. So. Yeah, yeah that wrong uniform, it. and they're all the government's like, "Hey, well done, you did it. You did it. Look, you did it. <laughs> did like, what? Yeah." yeah. <laughs> the the government doesn't really understand, so they actually send you like a form where they ask, like, "Is this the correct industry?" Is this the correct role? You know, they're like, <laughs> we're not gonna... you, Did you do it? <laughs> did it work? <laughs> oh, man. That's, uh, it's, it's super interesting you say that because um, the, the the university that I went to was was kind of similar, I guess, in more of, in more of a vocational side of it. It was called um, FutureWorks in, in Manchester. So it was, it was not an actual, like, traditional university, but I got my degree from a university. Um, but it was very much like that, where it was a lot smaller, like, sort of college size focused solely on the creative arts industry so games industry film tv uh, and what have you but one thing that they they did really well there and um i don't know if it was the, it might be the same for you oliver but they had people who were actually in the industry being the tutors 
So I don't know, is that the kind of thing that they did then? Yeah, to do exactly. Something similar or was it? Yeah. I, exactly. We had, uh, uh, I think our, our head teacher, uh, Shor De Jong, uh, he, he's like a, he was also at the time uh, an Epic Games evangelist, right? Uh, he's, you know, just going around to, to all, all basically all the companies uh, and, and, and just like basically be, being Epic's communication with, with uh, yeah, you've probably seen him around if you, you've watched any like uh, talks about like Unreal Engine, Horensis is his other name he goes by. Uh, mm. and, you know, he, he did that out of, you know, pure passion for Unreal Engine and, uh, you know, spreading the word. Um, <laughs> I, I, and also, I guess uh, the whole uh, school has been skewed to epic fanboys, so <laughs> that's also a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> That's the new hiring squad for Epic. They found it. That's just exactly, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it was very much you know taking in teachers from the industry in general, just like uh, mm. both lecturers who could you know who could go in and say you know uh, you should do this to get hired. You know, it's for, it was very concrete. Yeah. Not none of this like you know you go the entire like four years and then you get out and then you realize oh it's not enough. You know, they they would come yep. to you like in in month three and say okay this is what you need to do. Um, mm. and, uh, and I, I think that sort of guidance is, is really, you know, that, that's what makes a difference. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that completely. Teesside for us is a little different. We had industry lecturers, but because it was a full blown university, I don't think we properly got that close knit interaction because I had so many students in our years. Um, I think what yeah. design for us must've had like 90 a year or something. I'd say, a, uh, I'd say at least that. Yeah yeah that's painful to even hear <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean I, I i i don't know if it was the same for you adam or not but i remember in our first year um when you when you came into design um actually no it wasn't because the first the first year of our course it was it's that uh, mixture one in it it's, yeah with yeah, a mixed a bag mix, and yeah. you didn't specialize yeah. until your second year yeah. but in the first like introductory lectures at the first year of uni the kind of course leader was he, he pretty much said like look around you he was like, more than thirty percent of you won't be here by like this time next year, because I think I think I think they knew they had such a high turnover of like students because kind of what you said before, all of like shit. I love games. I want to make games, and then the reality sets in because either they didn't know the nature of how you make games or whatever it would be would kind of set in a bit, and they'd be like, "Fuck this! I'm out. I'll, I'm, I want to do something else." Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it was very very different um, from a uni point of view. But college wise, I think it was quite similar to that because mine was like a B tech over here, and that was very was like you said, very vocational. It was pretty much there was like the TV and film, and we were like the first year of the game stuff. We were a bit of a guinea pig, and then every other um, course at the college was pretty like it was pretty much making like builders and people who could like you know make cars and shit. And we're just sat there like we do games. <laughs> There's all these like burly sixteen year olds like carrying girders through. We're like, oh yeah. <laughs> oh man. One thing I think that I'm not sure if it was similar for you, but uh, but what the government has done with these educations, uh, which I do agree with, is they actually like grades as long as you've passed the basics. Like if you passed, I think there are like four subjects you need to pass. Like you need to pass like Swedish, uh, 
like English and mm-hmm. like super basic math, like so, uh, the base subjects. After that, the grades don't count uh, for yeah. for these educations, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's super like. When, when it comes to that, the turnover rate, because uh, we also have like the normal educations, which go by by, by grades, you know, right. you might have, have super high performing people who, who perform really good in, in a school environment that might just not translate to that uh, type yeah. of, of uh, like game development work. And, mm-hmm. and those schools definitely have like a, 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 the thing you said about the speech in the beginning, like, oh, if, if by the end of the year, like eighty percent of you won't yeah. be here. Like, I've heard that speech mm. from yeah, those man. <laughs> yeah, it's it is it's really it's really uh, crazy that you know because at the end of the day, like universities, they are a business first and foremost. So, like, I think when they're saying that, like, so front loading you going, yeah, we know you're probably not going to be here. <laughs> it's it, it's a very shell shock like moment to kind of hear you know as you're kind of coming into like i'm at university it's going to be the best three years of my life that's the first (laughs) thing to get said to you like oh shit (laughs) yeah i think i think for us i think because obviously in my final year i think it's split because our animation and design i think 20 of us had a job lined up for graduation and that was Mm. it probably in those like 150 students Mm. graduating that year yeah yeah, it's but it's not. We all know, is it? <laughs> no, no, I don't know how we many all... in my course graduated out. Of, well, all of them, a lot of them graduated out of like the twenty-five that were on the course. But I only think like I only know of like five of us that have a job so in mm-hmm. the industry at least. That that uh, that uni hasn't just turned everyone jobless. Unemployable. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Strip McDonald's, well, so they got a job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting you're saying how, like, you know, the two you have, most of you won't be here in two years, kind of a thing. Because um, I think that's kind of a thing is in the games industry as well. Is a lot of people, it's quite a high percentage of people that leave the industry after like a year or so. Um, so when you, Oliver, when you went into Dice, like you said, you went into an internship and everything. Um, from a lot of we've seen that from us and a lot of guests, they found that they basically went in very hot and they got so much responsibility early on. Was that what it was like for you going into games? Oh, I mean, extremely. It was, it, <laughs> you know, it was kind of the the the, the perfect opportunity for like, uh, oh, I want to do stuff, hungry intern. But uh, you yeah. know, it, you know, looking back at it with my, you know, I guess more senior eyes, where I'm like, I would never put put that on on like an yeah. intern yeah. you know the, the i think the project was a bit understaffed for uh, it was battlefront 2 where we were you know making uh, I, I think 12 12 levels were being made at uh, dice stockholm um and i think they only really had like level designers for for like two-thirds of that and then they also had game modes that nobody was working on but there were supposed mm-hmm. to be three more game modes um, so of course, me and and, uh, and my buddy, another intern, we came from the same school at the same time. You know, we we just took those three game modes and you know, like I think like a, a third of the maps for for the entire team. And it was like we <laughs> worked on that, but it was it was amazing um, as as an intern. But once again, in in retrospect, uh, you know, that's a lot of responsibility. That's yeah. a lot of things to you know <laughs> potentially mess up uh, yeah. and. Yeah, it was also like a lot of work. Uh, so, so with you know, like I I enjoyed it at the time. I don't think that uh, everyone would have enjoyed it, uh, but I do think you know that was really like, you know, got thrown the hot potato. What do you do? You know, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, 
uh, either you drop it or, or you know, you jump. It, it is, it is, it's proper sink or swim. Uh, and I think you know, like what you said there about. You, I think some people are going to react well to it, or some people are going to be like, "Oh my god, you know, this is too much work, too much responsibility," and they're going to melt down. And it is like it's. I can't. I'm in two minds of it. Of do I like it that you know that is the process, and you come in whether you're an intern, junior. Or you're on like a secondment, whatever you, your way in is now. I don't know if I like that, that you are just kind of like thrown this sink or swim, do or die. Because in my head, I think when you hear junior or intern role, you go, oh, it's going to be lovely. Like I'm going to be like having like one to one time with like a senior. Like I'm going to be shadowing them and I'm going to be learning the ins and outs of the industry. And oh, it's going to be this like amazing time for me to kind of you know like sit still enjoy like my first time in the industry but like have this safety net and yeah. i know for for me it was i did not have that and what you said then was like other people we spoke to and other guests it's a very common theme this um yeah. but i don't know how it's remedied really because the, the way studios work it is it's always busy right like even the start of a project it's always busy people are always wanting to crack on and do stuff so yeah I'm not sure if it's good or bad, really. <laughs> it's tough. I, I, I think one interesting thing that I've noticed is that I've actually seen, this might very much depend on the studio and person, but but generally, like, the longer somebody has been on the in the industry, uh, the, you know, the less stressful things get. Uh, or, mm. like, if I if I were to compare with, uh, you know, like, like through, through my years in, in the industry now, like, the, the most intense time of that was like the the first three months of my my internship mm -hmm. right because you're you're one you're picking up this like for me it was a new engine like frostbite you, you can't access that from the outside and yeah. trying to you know learn how corporations work how, how you how you like handle that in a professional setting and uh, and doing all of this stuff you know it's, it's a lot of juggling at once that, that's mm -hmm. quite overwhelming uh and you know, even that in itself is quite a lot uh, without you adding on the pressure of like, hey, here's a bunch of content, which like learn how to make it, uh, you know. <laughs> um, so, so I do think that, you know, it's like, like I do think that a lot of interns are eager for this sort of thing, uh, but I, I do think it's good to keep them away from it. Uh, mm. Like uh, we've started doing that at Hazelight now that, that interns say, you know, we kind of sidestep them into like a smaller disconnected piece of the of the game that yeah. they can work on uh it doesn't matter if they completely you know botch it and you know <laughs> we can't use it uh because it's like or for example like a small mini game or something like that in it, it takes two like yeah work yeah. on this if, if it turns out terribly it's fine you know uh i i think the problem is when we when we put interns in like uh or, or just junior people in like a very vital position where like if this if this fails you know that's gonna have a knock-on effect on the next person who's gonna have to you know crunch for their side you know yeah that, that sort of uh, I don't think you should put that on on like no. anybody who's new to the to the job uh, yeah but... yeah no I I, I I think that's absolutely true I think what you said there about the the layering on of you know kind of pressure of you got it's your first job as well in the industry. So I think even in your head, because you, normally as well, you'll be young still. You're still going to be like, you know, early 20s, like a, most of the time, I'd say. And I think you you still really want to make a good impression as well, right? 
so you're sat there and you do go the extra mile and you put the extra hours in. You sat there being like, "I'm really good, honestly. I'm really good. I'm I'm, I'm class." <laughs> like, like I always remember like getting asked, "Like, are you okay? Like, is that, is that enough? Like, is that like too much work?" I'm just like, "No." And I'm just sat there like a meltdown about it. Like, five <laughs> yeah, and it's you just never admit to it, right? You, yeah, you, it's like, is it is it too much work? And it's like, is that a failure on my part? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Like, are they right. asking that because I'm crumbling already? Like, oh fuck me, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's such a hard thing though, especially when you're so junior and you you get asked that. You think you immediately you're like, well, this is them testing me, kind of thing. Yeah. When, yeah. when in actuality, I feel like most people are sincere and being like. No, no, if this is too much, I want you to tell Yo, us. But a lot of juniors, agree. because they've got that passion and drive, just don't do it, which yeah. is, if so, yeah, it's, you know, take the help when you when you can get it. If you've got yeah, too much yeah. on your plate, please tell the senior members because they want <laughs> to help you. Exactly. And and it's it's that thing where, where like, like when you've been in the industry a while, like, like uh, if, if uh, you know, somebody like, oh, here's a level or here's a mechanic and this is the amount of time. If I don't think that's a reasonable amount of time, you know, I'm mm-hmm. going to put my feet on the desk and be like, nah, nah, this ain't <laughs> happening. <laughs> we yeah. got to talk about this, you know. Exactly. <laughs> but, exactly. but like, you don't have the confidence to even trust your ability to estimate when when no. you're uh, in junior right where it's like no i i guess i guess this is fine well actually a part of the job is saying like no or compromising finding a way to like yeah. make it, uh, yeah. it right yeah yeah big I mean, time because the I more think... you do that then sorry jack go on i say the more you the more designers do that um uh, not just designers but any anyone who comes into the industry the more designers are able to push back and go look this isn't reasonable for me to do it just creates better pipelines overall because we have better estimates and therefore we make be- better games. So it's like it's it's one of those that you just you just got to start doing it and then then we'll be much better. Yeah, big time. Cool. So I guess we'll jump a little bit more. Um, I feel as we've kind of pushed on a bit of a tangent there. Um, so obviously you've kind of went to Dice as an internship. So you did you shipped Battlefront two and then shifted on to Battlefield five. So primarily on Battlefront two you were doing multiplayer like map design mostly right and then map design and game modes yeah game modes Mm -hmm. and then you shifted onto battlefield 5 and you were doing more single player content correct yeah that's that's right the 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 last tiger in that one yeah Uh uh-huh so would you say that then you know jumping further into your career then so you worked on single player and multiplayer with a game like It Takes Two, which is two players cooperative in nature, do you think that your experience of seeing both sides of the level design coin, so to speak, that kind of like prepped you quite well to make something co-op based? Or would you say it's it, it's inherently more single player the way you treat it? Or it's it's very interesting actually. It, it's really in its own. I, I think if I were to have gone on to like a game like Destiny, right, where where right. it is. Uh, either single player or co-op it doesn't really matter i think then then those experiences would have translated really well and i would mm-hmm. have been able to to do that uh like with with no friction but it's actually very very interesting with the type of co-op we did which is you know this is co-op there is no like maybe or another person or like mm-hmm. this is the way it's gonna work um, yeah. which also allows us to do some very cool things um but inherently, it's very much like designing a, a single-player game. You know, you 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 do the pacing, uh, or like that's the way we work. We look at the pacing, you know, puzzles, combat traversal, all of that stuff. How how we order those, where the story beats are gonna land. 
uh, but then you just have this awful layer, like like from a, it's cool, but it's also a, 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 like a complicated layer of like, there's another person here. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. you know, oh, you want to do that fake cool thing they did in Uncharted with the camera. Oh, wait, there's another person. I can't teleport. <laughs> you know, you, you, you just at, at every turn, you're like, oh shit, this has to be like, in the foundation of what you're thinking of has to kind of be there, right? Uh, you mm. can't, same with like, uh, oh, if you have like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if two people are riding a rocket or like, or one person is riding a rocket and they're like, there's another person. What is the <laughs> other person doing? Yeah. Uh, this, you know, that, that sort of layering. Um, but I, I like technically I, I was prepared, I'd say like, you know, both, both level design and, and, you know, scripting skills, etc. But, uh, the um, the sidestep into yeah just just uh, kind of doing single player kind of uncharted cinematic stuff but with two players was uh, was quite quite a step actually mm. yeah that's awesome that's class yeah it was interesting yeah uh, you think that they would like like you said you think they would move closer together but they don't really I mean I know we had a lot of uh, you know on um, Man of Madame we had a lot of that multiplayer stuff that was like. Oh wait a minute! There's another player. <laughs> yeah. It's always the yeah. thing. I remember um, working on Star Wars. I remember I had a literal post-it note, and it it just said, "Remember this co-op." Every single time, <laughs> every single time there was on about something like, "Oh, we should do that. That'd be classic." It's like, what is player two going to be doing though? And and it's one of those things like when you aren't like I think if you were like sharing like a desk with someone when there's another control there all the time. Maybe you'd be more aware of it, but when you just sat in your own little like channel, you're doing stuff like shit. There's, there's two players here. <laughs> How are we going to get that working? It's, it's, that it's what yeah. you're saying. We should do, Jack. We should have co. We should have co-op development where you share one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not suggesting that. <laughs> and what I'm saying is post-it notes. <laughs> the same life more than I can ever tell you. It's like that scene in Hot Fuzz when he gets his book out. <laughs> He's had about the same it's like more than a gun. Post-it notes. It just says it just says remember player two infinitely on the notepad. Yeah. It's it's very interesting. It's uh it's a challenge, but it's definitely a, a fun challenge. Like when you get it to work, right? It's very rewarding where you're like, okay. Not only sure you've accounted for the co-op player, but not only is this this is something that's unique to the to the co-op one. Like you can't mm. do this, or like Uncharted can't do this, or you know if other other games because mm. we're actually using that instead of using it as a crutch. Like oh, we're we're gonna do like the other games, but badly, you know we're we're twisting that into now we're doing something that those that's games only... just can't do. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. you you mentioned on um. The, when you you obviously on with Mark from uh, Game Maker's Toolkit, and you you had like three types of co-op that I think internally you guys used. I can't I'm can't I'm struggling to remember what they were now, but they sounded like they were like kind of three nice ways of separating that experience, like through those, like, yeah. those different panels. So I'm struggling had, to remember what uh, they were. <laughs> we had parallel co-op, which is hmm. what we refer to that that's sort of the Destiny style game where where like. It's actually like single player, but it's kind of parallel, right? Where where you're playing with each other. Like that's an oversimplification, uh, mm. but but kind of where where you like any player could drop out at any moment. You're kind of playing in the in the same space. Mm. Uh, that, for example, the platforming in it it takes two is that where you're both just jumping around. It's not like you're super connected. Um, 
uh, or or like when you're flying around or something. Uh, that's when you're individual, but in the same space. Um, and then you have what we call step-by-step co-op, uh, which is this sort of, um, let's see, so it, so it's basically <laughs> kind of from from what's happening. It's kind of like a oh I'll use my mechanic to get you over here, mm-hmm. and then while you're over there, now you're gonna have to help me. But it's kind of this step by step where both players are not really super active at the same time. Where mm. you know I'll weigh something down, you'll jump on it, and then you'll shoot something so that I can go. You know that sort of back and forth. And and the third one, um, which like is probably the most intense type of co-op is, is just a truly like shared experience which we call parallel co-op this will be like you're both piloting a plane or uh like like the glider is a great example in it takes two where one player where, where you share like a kind of a bar that you uh, move back and forth on and this will tilt the angle of the plane and yeah. that will like affect which which way you're steering which means that you know communication um like communication is at a whole all-time high from like parallel co-op communication is not super important like it might be from like a you know uh it's super hard we need to coordinate sort of thing but but generally it's not required for parallel co-op then you have step by step you're kind of like in in this uh, spurts of communication okay now you do this and now you help mm-hmm. me over here. And then you have the parallel co-op, which is the one where you just scream at each other, like, left, left, no, right, no. <laughs> uh, where it all breaks down, right? Yeah. <laughs> there, were, uh, there were a lot of arguments that we had when we were playing uh, <laughs> on, on, on those ones with the gliders. I think uh, my relationship is strained from that. But anyway. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I've played through it twice on both to play both characters um, and with different people. And it's amazing to hear the difference between different people that you're playing with. Like, especially like I played um, with someone on like the couch and then with someone online and how that experience is still exactly the same. I've always been like mm. a, a big person for couch co-op because that was like me growing up was just playing couch co-op games with my brother, even if they were just single player games. So I thought it was, always, it, was it was amazing to see that come out again in like the, with the way that It Takes Two does. Um with uh, like you were saying, with the different versions of co-op, um, uh, I found that with the way that those levels progressed, I thought they were quite clean and where they progressed. But normally, you had like a open world bit to you know go and explore and look at all the cool environments and mini games that you can find. And then normally there was some kind of like traversal puzzle bit, story, action set piece, and then boss. Was that something that you had like a design around? You know, we've got to fit this bit of story and this many puzzles or was it all just sort of free form to fit the level design that you had? I, I wish I could say that we planned. <laughs> 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 like, um, I, I think, um, I think it turned out well. Um, uh, and I, I wouldn't say it was by accident either. I think that we, we corrected the stuff that felt bad. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. but we were very free form in the way we worked, uh, which meant that we were just doing prototypes, uh, and, and you know, like, and then you know, at some point, we started assembling it to to a level. And uh, I I think we just had our own kind of internal, like, oh, does this feel good? Like, oh, would that feel good here? Uh, I think mm-hmm. at some points, you know, you you might have had like intensity for too long or puzzle for too long. Uh, there there are a few moments that uh, I think I think could have been been better for it. But actually, a, a lot of it was just by feel, right? I I think one of the haze light strengths is that. Um, we're a very reactive studio compared to other studios. We're 
like not at all planners i'd say like uh <laughs> you, you look at our documentation and be like is this a game project and like no no this this is it takes two <laughs> and, <laughs> and you'd be like what really and uh that's sort of the the way we worked but instead like you know after each uh uxr or, or a big play test like we had milestones where we play test you know we just get a bunch of notes you know what works what doesn't and we just correct and change stuff and i think i think there are two ways to kind of work and of course you can work in the in-between way you know one is a bottom-up where you start with a design document and like you plan everything down um and and then you have the way which we worked here which was just like we started with the prototypes and just built our way up to a game kind of and yeah. then looked mm -hmm. at the high level from that um mm. which is uh I, I think surprisingly uncommon in the in the games industry. It's definitely like chaotic in its sense, um, <laughs> but it was also chaotic game, so it was kind of the perfect fit, right? Yeah, I'd yeah. say, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think you mentioned on um, your um, video with Mark as well. Like, I think you mentioned the the uh, the action blocks uh, GDC talk from Titanfall two. And it feels like there's a lot of um, like parallels almost with that. Like it felt like from what you just said there and what I garnered from your video and from the GDC talk from Titanfall, it did feel like it was a lot of, right, let's just go away, make a little idea, see if it works, come back, like, what do you think of that? And I think that way, it, like, like you said, if it fits the type of experience you're making when... Titanfall 2 is this crazy, the, the, the players are pilot in a controller of a giant mech. It should be crazy and it should be wacky, but I guess if you, maybe if you're making something more, you know, kind of grounded in that, that maybe the, the kind of other process would be more at home with that. Um, but, but yeah, I, I guess it'd be interesting to find a process in between those binaries. I, I don't know if that's possible at all, but... Yeah, we're, we're trying that right now, actually. I, of course, I oh, can't say what we're, what we're working that's on, true. but we kind of, you know, we, we took a step back now and we're like, uh, okay, okay, how do we... Uh, how do we improve on on what we made? And I, I think the the biggest flaws kind of came from the top down. You know, there was no top down look at the at the game right. before, or, or levels. Like even comparing, like if we had similar segments, you know, we couldn't do that because we hadn't even thought of the segments by the time you'd compare them. So we're we're doing an in between now with like a, a light planning structure in Miro where we're doing like a level overview kind of thing and cool. and uh, Miro is great by the way, like. Uh, yeah, it's it's so good. But yeah, we're we're doing like a level <laughs> overview, but still very light, you know, very high level, and then mm. combining that with these prototypes. Because I, I still think like in a game like Lost of Us, you could still do those action blocks. Like for example, um, it's just the the tone of them. Like for example, the the moment when you uh, get strung up uh, in the foot and like get upside yeah. down, mm. like like that that's a, a an excellent thing that could come out of this sort of thing where you're like, oh yeah, shit. Uh, that's that's excellent. Uh, and like, what else can we do? What can we do when we're on like a skyscraper? Could the skyscraper collapse? What would that look like? You know, just these kind of short, interesting ideas that could then uh, meld into the narrative. I think that was also the part that was kind of difficult um, that we made all of these prototypes, uh, and you know, we were, we're we're a very narrative studio as well. But we, you know, the. The amount and the lack of planning combining with the narrative, it was very difficult at points where it's like, mm. you know, 
what are we doing? We're doing Street Fighter on a plane. How does that fit into the story? You know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Single-handedly, I, I, I don't think my jaw was like attached for about half an hour after that. I remember me and Adam were playing it, and I was like, I was actually screaming at him, saying, "Like, I'm fighting a squirrel on a plane. This is the best thing I've ever played." Like, it just came out as well. That's why. That's one thing I think anyone who's played it has said like it consistently just surprised me like across every mm-hmm. board like oh my god like it's kept bringing ideas like every every hour do you know what i mean it was like oh my god it's a complete different game it's it was it's so such a refreshing experience like from start to finish it, it surprised game... us too <laughs> <laughs> i think that game as well as like in a weird way was uh even cooler to play being in game development as well because you'd mm-hmm. go to like a whole other section then you'd be like I got another freaking mechanic here. What is going on? <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing we, I think we all agree with, I think that the movement in that game is like really good. Um, it just feels really good to just run around and jump around, even if that was just the whole sandbox of the game. Um, and you're saying that you did a lot of prototypes early on. Was the movement planned out part of that? Or did you have to change some of your puzzles because of the, you, you know, you added the dash and everything into it afterwards? Oh man, oh man, you touched on a, on a sore spot. Here we go. Oh, no. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> I'm just digging all the stuff yeah. out now. <laughs> no, but it, it's actually a, a great question. So, so the movement was done mainly by Tom Clamp and uh, Jacob Lundgren, who were two designers who were kind of unspecific in terms of, I hear sirens. Oh. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're coming for you exactly. <laughs> i gotta go <laughs> um but uh it, it like like we kind of have a very loose structure where we're all kind of designers and you know it's kind of like basically who wants this hat like we're doing a, a life and or like a health system who who wants to do it uh and and these are the the two designers that mainly worked on movement um and the thing is for for the longest time uh, the movement, we didn't have double jump and we didn't have dash. Uh, we started with just like a, you know, no, we, we want our, our set pieces or like mechanics to carry this game. And, right. you know, we, we also started with kind of like a um, kind of a question everything sort of attitude where we're like, okay, like every platformer has done a double jump. Uh, let's not do a double jump and see if it works. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, like, we had that for a long time and then we added the dash and we're like oh this is kind of good i just wish i could control it like a second jump you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, so eventually we we added the the jump in the dash was still good because it was very useful in other situations like combat and it added to the versatility of the set um mm-hmm. And and I, I think that you know the quest in question everything attitude is is a big part of why why this game uh, turned out so special for for many reasons, but in this case, like no, there is a very good reason. Double jumps are there. Like, uh, mm. um, I, I think one of the the biggest reasons that that people might not realize, like uh, um, from from the UXRs and playtest, is that um, double jump is very much an accessibility thing where um, bad players, you mm. know, controlling that one jump and not being able to course correct. The, you know, they die, like, I would say 80% more, uh, mm. you know, it was just like a, 
or wait, 80% more, like 200% more. It was like a staggering <laughs> increase. And then we added the yeah. double jump and that just like dropped because they could course correct or miss and then jump up yeah. again. You know, that, that helped yeah, them yeah. so much. Um, and it also felt really good. Um, and there was another big discussion we had, which was like, uh, how good should the movement feel? Because it is a co-op game, but the movement is, you know, that's a single player mechanic, kind of, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually a big fight where um, I, I think the thing that we really uh, kind of bickered about was um, how fast we, we called it the the speed to player pixel ratio, where where how fast would the other co-op partner turn into a pixel on your screen? Um, right, because it was this: uh, you're playing together, but. Uh, if you're having these super cool fast moves and you just you know you just disappear from the other player, uh, that's not nice. It doesn't feel co-op yeah. anymore. Um, mm. So that was one of the challenges. Uh, I think we handled it fairly well. You know, it was a lot of back and forth, uh, and uh, um, but it, it ended on a on a good note uh, and with a lot of puzzle rebuilding, which was uh, the original <laughs> question. <laughs> like, distances, like oh well, this gap. <laughs> It's got to be doubled. And then you like push it. And then, like, oh, your puzzle now clips into the next puzzle. So then we're going to have to move this. And, you know, it continues and you're pulling your hair out. And yeah, but uh, I think it's going uh, over to art. Like, I'm sorry. Everything had to move. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We're going to have to move all of this. I'm really, really sorry. (laughs) I mean, that that was essentially it. And, And they're like, okay, but it's fine. It's only one thing. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> they're they're all interconnected so everything actually you know <laughs> that's a, that's a really good thing actually um you know it's kind of segues into something i've been wanting to ask and we've been trying to ask all our guests this because i think what we we're saying before about when you're in the, in the industry you are a bit clueless at what industry life is like i guess so um when it comes to things like going to art for example and being like you know that amazing level you've just done for me you know you've taken my ugly little gray area you've made it beautiful um we need to change that and this is x y and z reasons why or if you need to go to code and you need to have all these extra things you never wanted to be exposed you need all this extra functionality added into something like have you got any tips might be a bit of a cheesy word or like just any kind of insight of how to kind of kind of build and ensure that you have like a really good working relationship when you're working with you know different departments and because at the end of the day you're all making like the kind of example I always say is you're all making this same Frankenstein's monster right and have you got any kind of interesting insight of how to maintain good working relationships when you're kind of working with different departments yeah I mean I, I think definitely the the thing that you touched upon it is one of the most important I think which is that you know our artists and that goes for everyone like sound designers etc uh, you know they're not outsourcing that you just no. throw a bunch of changes on uh, I think it's very important that you know they're involved in the level and and can understand why these changes are happening you know that they can see on the playtest uh, oh Oh, the, this this ledge, uh, people are getting stuck there, or whatever. You know, the, then then it's way easier for them to to, um, I mean, not only do the change, but also agree and and you know, uh, internally from them, like, yeah, no, we we gotta fix that. Uh, I I mm-hmm. think that's a very important thing that, yeah, like involving the departments, uh, uh, especially for like the, you know, those painful moments where you're like. Oh no, we're gonna have to change this. Um, yeah, 
I think I think it's way easier if they understand what's happening uh, instead of just like seeing seeing the level as their kind of canvas and they've painted a painting and now I'm here ruining it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> cool. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think it's well that um, you know because they're so specialized in all of their stuff and we're specialized in our thing. When you go through and you talk to different disciplines and you're all making the same you know, the same product, like you said, Jack. They're going to be able to come up with ideas that you never, or problems, mm -hmm. fixing problems that you never would have been able to come up with. You know, I've had it before. You know, you go up and you discuss things like, oh, I need to change it like this, and I'm like, well, we could just do it this way. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's great. Why don't we just do that? Yeah, because they're going to have yeah. that extra knowledge that you're not going to have. So definitely, and I, I think that's a, a a great point where I always say like like both design and level design, it's kind of the bridge for all departments, right? Where like everything is going to get shoved into the level eventually right yeah, yeah and uh, <laughs> we're, we're kind of the highway for that but that also means we're the highway for like information as you said like they might be specialized in you know architecture and then you saying i i want to destroy this pillar or whatever and they might say oh but have you thought of this and this and they're, you're like oh I don't know architecture but that's a great <laughs> point so we'll do that instead <laughs> you know yeah. yeah definitely yeah i think it's i think i think with anything like that i think um you know design for for the longest time i think and whether it's from you know people maybe getting the wrong end of the stick from certain like um like making of documentaries or maybe just some kind of you know i think if for, for me anyway growing up i was always like looking at kojima like he was this guy who had like all the ideas and i think that and i think in a certain way it's like led to a slight um air of like designers being like the ideas people and i like don't like that at all i think it's really wrong i think like yeah we we are but at the end of the day like we should be like the problem solvers and we should be like justifying things why they need to be like that and i think like you said it kind of if you involve the team with stuff and what you said there might as well sometimes you'll get the solution or at least uh, something that leads you to a solution of someone saying something because you were too busy you know galaxy brain in it over something and they'll suggest something. And I think the more like the more like um you can like culture this environment that everyone's opinion, like you will hear it, but at the end of the day the books like stops with design, right? So as long as you can hear everything and then you have time to go away and like mull over it and then come back with a solution for it. I tend to think that that's where a designer's role tends to be, rather than just yeah. Having this pressure of being this, like, you know, I think I think I used the phrase in our first podcast we did when I was saying, like, this, like, these like, arbiters of knowledge and truth and everything gamey. And it's like, no, like, listen to someone who isn't even thinking it as a, as a, as a game for a second. It's just an idea, like, oh, that, that really works for me. Um, yeah. yeah. I, th I think somebody, somebody wise said, I can't remember who, uh, <laughs> but they said that a designer's job mainly is to, identify problems and not come up with ideas to solve them but pick the right idea like yeah you pick the right idea to solve the problems mm -hmm. uh, and you know the, I, I guess that goes all the way to even coming up with game ideas you know what does this game idea solve like all the way back there to the very specific like oh people are looking the wrong way while you're walking this way like you don't have to be the 
you know know it all who's going to have the actually perfect solution but mm-hmm. like you should talk to your team think about it see see what works and then like come to the to the best solution and you know that that involves a lot of things you, you know the best solution that might work for a gameplay perspective might not work from a time perspective you know it's it's a lot of factors for that yeah mm. oh absolutely 100% yeah definitely yeah definitely i couldn't um, agree, couldn't agree more with that one uh, yeah the I think I think one thing that's interesting as well is is how um, how those sort of design roles can differ from different studios. So you yourself has been um, at both uh, Hazelight and Dice, for example, and just wondering um, what is the day to day like in comparison to these two. I know you said that at uh, Hazelight it's very much from top down, but is that similar to Dice or is it a bit different there? What's kind of the day to day like on uh, in in design? Yeah, it's 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 very different actually. Um, I'd say so. At Dice, kind of, you had this whole schedule, right? You you basically, in a lot of ways, you kind of knew every step up until release, right? You had this plan very detailed with like you know twenty four milestones where you'd be like, oh yeah, we're supposed to be here by this week. You know, you could very mm-hmm. much tell that, and you were kind of working your way there. That's not to say that there wasn't a lot of creativity. It's just, you know. This is a machine that works that's very much on schedule and you know it's thousands of people being involved in making sure that this ships on time you know it has to be like that um mm. and i i think that the amount of communication that you had to do in in like a studio like that where where you know not only is it dice but you're working with dice la and you're working with with criterion on something and you know there there are just so many studios involved in that yeah. and um so communication was a big part of that. Like, uh, I would say the amount of mails I had to read. You know, I'd start every morning with reading mails. I don't do that at Hayslight, for mm-hmm. example. Like, um, um, and um, th- then I just sit and basically focus on on my level, which is kind of similar on uh, between Hayslight and Dice. the The question is maybe how big that level is and how you know how much influence I had over it. Where you know you'd have like narrative directors and you know these are different ways of working i'm not saying that one's better than the other like if you Mm -hmm. have a super Mm -hmm. good narrative director that can you know kind of you know pierce the heart with with their stories you know that's uh that's a very different way but at hazelight you know we're we're a lot smaller smaller in terms of of both sides and how how many work on each level we're like you know Mm. one two designers on a level and uh you know, one, two artists on a level as well. Um, and then Joseph, the creative director, he's, he's very much like a high level, you know, oh, we're, we're, we're going this way, you know, pointing the general direction, but everything yeah. else is kind of up, up to you, right? We're like, what do I want all the set pieces to be? What, what kind of gameplay, what, what mechanics do I want? Mm. Uh, that sort mm-hmm. of stuff is very much up to you while, uh, that's probably like at dice comparatively that would probably require like at least 20 people to decide uh, yeah. mm. and verify yeah i think that's one of the things that people um maybe people who are getting into the industry as well as that like not every game studio is the same just like not every role that you have at game studios are the same like you mm. say these are two completely different ways of working it's not necessarily one is better than the other it's just whatever works for that team in that studio yeah exactly. 
yeah, which, is, which is one of the most exciting things about being in the industry. Yeah, so I mean, because you can go from doing like a level design role at X Studio, and you might, all you, all you literally might be doing, like I know in my experience at times, at, uh, when I worked at TT, like they internally call level designers level directors, and for that you'd you do the entire level, like you do the the LDD, you do the block out. But you'd essentially act as like the main like stakeholder of that, and you'd just be driving it. And content would come in. You'd get bits, put it where it needs to be now and then. But you'd mainly would just be getting it, going through, reviewing it, going again. But then sometimes some studios, you're you're like the main person who's getting everything and putting it all in yourself. And like you just said, Oliver, as well, like if, if it's just a couple of on you on a level as big as some of the ones in it takes two, which you know I think. Um, some of them are upwards of an hour. Sometimes I think um, that 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 would would never work with just one designer kind of waiting for content to come in, so we can just kind of uh, uh, direct stuff properly. So. Exactly, and and I think a lot of people have this kind of, uh, especially the ones who hasn't worked in in games, have maybe this this skewed idea of what AAA versus indie versus mid sized is, where you know mm. they're like, ah, oh, you know. It's gonna be this way to work in in AAA, and you know I'm gonna be more creative in indie. Now that's not necessarily the case for uh, for for me. That has been the case, uh, but you know I know some indie studios that you know they have like very much a creative director who's like you know very much you know this is the way it's supposed to be. You know you might right. be less creative than you you'd ever be at a mm. AAA studio. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it really depends on on the company and how they work, uh, and and I don't think that you know. Yeah, I, I see some people refer to AAA as like, oh, a mindless machine. And I'm like, I've seen indie studios that are like that. I've also seen AAA studios, which are very creative. Like, yeah. um, uh, like for example, Respawn. I know I know their their workflow is like, no, no, the individual designer has very, like a huge effect on, on what's going to be in the game. That's uh, mm-hmm. um, So it, it's all about the company and how, how they work. And I, I think that people should clear those assumptions from their mind and, mm-hmm. and actually like, if they're curious about a company, they should should ask people who are there. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, what, yeah. what do you do? You shouldn't assume that it's AAA. It's this. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. The the only thing that you like, the only thing that I've found inferable between them is that in AAA, usually you have to do a lot more communication because there are more people. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of the only thing that I've I've found to be true. Everything else, mm. I've been like. Oh, you work like that. That's crazy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that is that is a really really good point, and it's, it's something. Do you know what I, what you said there about the kind of indie stuff? Something I've never even like, thought about too much until you said it. Like, yeah, there's, normally people equate smaller team, you know, smaller budget, and everything to all right, more responsibility, more creative freedom, and stuff. But yeah, like I think if you are work with someone who is like you said, that big kind of creative visionary. You know, this is how it's happening. <laughs> you might end up in a bit of a scenario where you are like, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm not doing all that much off my own back. I am just, you know, kind of, uh, I'm a spoke on the wheel, so, so to speak." Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of those, um, you know, because of how fluid games are in the way that you make them, and because, you know, it, it, in my mind, it is an art, right? So art is subjective, and then each way you get to a final goal is very different. So we're talking about, you know, more creativity or less creativity or more to someone else's goal, all of these ways work in their own ways. So it's totally dependent on how the team itself is working together and the company's own ethos about all of this stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
I mean, it's definitely cool to see how we can have an industry where everything is just completely different everywhere. Yeah, everyone's inventing the wheel, kind of, does this work? (laughs) (laughs) So I was was just going to ask, since you've worked on a numerous few projects over the years, do you have a moment in one of them games, it's your proudest, your favorite moment. Oh, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think uh, let's see. I think actually um, the ending of uh, of Snow Globe, um, the Snow Globe level in It Takes Two, um, where we uh, essentially you have two magnets, right? And uh, throughout the game, you've been using them, or throughout this level, you've been using them to interact with objects, but you haven't been able to interact with each other. And there is a whole allegory about this, uh, the magnets being, um, you know, it's about attraction, this whole level, attraction to mm-hmm. each other. It's it's two people falling out of love. And and at the end of this level, um, the magnets regain their, their ability to attract to each other. Um, so, so from now, from that point onward, uh, you could magnet each other and like actually like slam into each other and ride on the other person's back. And there were some really interesting puzzles and uh, like you know emotional um, moments that that came from that. Uh, of course, how emotional it is is you know when you when you're you're making co-op games, um, like how emotional something feels. You're giving up even more. Um, control than you do in a single player game. In a single player mm-hmm. game, you can very much force that. Yeah. But depending on what mood the players are in, you know, they're not going to yeah. feel that because they might be <laughs> giggling at, at Cody's butt. You know, that's uh, <laughs> and that's totally fine. <laughs> uh, it's just something I've realized. But I, I think that moment really worked well from like a you know evolution of the mechanic, just pushing, uh, combining or like combining those mechanics with the narrative and uh, ending on that note. Um, uh, especially so as it was about to be cut because we didn't have time for it, uh, and then mm. then we like it's like no, we need to do this, and then I, I made a <laughs> like prototype level where I'm like, look how cool this is, and then they were like, okay, okay, we'll do that, and uh, and we ended up doing that instead of a snow globe boss fight, uh, uh, which cool. was originally yeah. planned. That's oh, wow. that, that that that's really amazing though that like you know that you said you had those moments of like oh god I can see it I can see the guillotine coming down on this level like <laughs> shit we need to fucking stop this we we're all for this and you all gathered around and just put 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 the work in and it shows for itself like come on you can't cut it now look how good it is like that that's 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 a really cool like like game dev story because I I think in my experience it that is quite hard to fight against like once something's been said it's getting caught. Mm-hmm. It's getting cut. Like it's very yeah. hard to um turn turn back the to turn back them the clock almost on that stuff. So that's a very um positive like little yeah, little game. game so it's kind of filled my heart up. Yeah, I, like that. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, as someone who's played that game a lot, I can tell you that it did work really well. And also the fact that now you mention it, I didn't think about it, that it doesn't have like the boss fight how the other ones do. You no. do that. You know, you yeah. do that scaling up the mountain with the attraction and uh, stuff. That works so well just yeah. as part of a tie into the story where they get to. And then obviously, it's because it's paced of them doing the different uh, individual stuff after that, that it works mm-hmm. so well with how that paces into that. 
And it and it pretty much ends with like you know it's it's pretty much like a Naughty Dog esque set piece, which is like the most coolest like slope <laughs> set piece I've ever done. And then it's somehow still, even though it's about like connection, like you just said, we were still playing it. Like I'm going to beat you though. I'm getting. I'm going to beat. I'm gonna beat <laughs> <I know. laughs> How a game can like jump from those two tones, and I was still like a hundred percent locked in for it. Like that's what I mean, man. Like. I'm I'm scared that this podcast is going to it's just going to be us gushing over the game, but like credit <laughs> where it's due. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it is it is it's as celebrated as it is for a reason. Let's find something, find something negative. If we gush, we got to. I'm saying if we gush, we've got to talk about Doctor Hakeem. Oh yeah. We, yeah. I, I think Adam was close to like wetting his knickers every time he was on screen. Like, I remember, <laughs> there, there those times when you sat there, and there's like there's certain games when it gets to a cutscene, and this is I'm going to offend every narrative designer in the world. I apologize, but there's certain certain cutscenes when you're just like, right, okay, I can chill now. It's whatever. <laughs> every time he was on screen, I was like just just sat eagerly waiting like come on what, where is he where is he and he just emerged like yes <laughs> yes oh my god so so hakim like maybe you figured it out or maybe you haven't that's joseph like yeah. that, that's his real life persona just into the game um, <laughs> so so um, it's really funny that uh, so so another voice actor did the did the voice in the final um but we had Joseph for the longest time as both the audio and the mocap. Oh my god! mocap. <laughs> you know, I can't tell you how many like hip thrusts have been like you know painfully reduced by the animators because it's just like it's just Joseph. Um, and yes, yeah, yeah. If you like Hakim, you like Joseph. That's honestly. Oh. I've said, how close are we to get tattoos, Chuck? Oh, we we were, we were very close to getting a Dr. Hakeem tattoo. We're very close. <laughs> just, just, to cele- just, just to celebrate our time playing it, like, amazing. Well, I don't want to be... I, I, I know we were kind of discussing about maybe we should go any longer, but I'm going to make the call. I don't think we're going to top that anecdote. I think <laughs> yeah, that, that, is the, that has made my year, pretty much. So I guess we should probably kind of wrap up, but... Oliver, this has been amazing. It's been great chatting to you. It's been great seeing what kind of your journey into design. Obviously, little little bits of uh, it takes two and all these really cool development bits. Um, so before we leave us, um, is there anything you want to plug, like your Twitter or anything like that? Like, feel free. Um, get that done. Um, no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> all good. That's easy. That's fine. Done, Done. Yeah. <laughs> done. Cool. Well, well thanks. Yeah, thanks again, everyone. This has been great. I think this might be a little bit biased, maybe my favorite episode so far. Um, <laughs> <it's> been, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. we, we, we have been Rules of Play, and we will catch you all in the next one. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks, everyone. See you later. Bye bye.